0: Praise the Lord. Thank you, choir, so much for that good number and good reminder. Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Hope you brought your Bible along and you're ready to listen to God's word. If not, find one there in front of you in the pew rack and find Philippians chapter 2. I found this interesting. I ran across this this past week and it kind of even made more sense to me in a sense and and kind of made me chuckle as I was there with the boys for the beginning of their camping trip. Uh, The following are actual responses from comment cards. Uh, that were given to the staff members at Bridger Wilderness Area 1996. Now, the Bridger Wilderness Area is in Wyoming. And these are actual comment cards, uh, that were given to the staff there. Trails need to be wider so people can walk them while holding hands. (laughs) Trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. Too many bugs and leeches and spiders and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the area of these pests. Please pave the trail so they can be snowplowed during the winter. Chairlifts need to be in some places so that we can get to the wonderful views without having to hike to them. I like this one. The coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals. A small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there a way I can get reimbursed? Please call. Reflectors need to be placed on trees every 50 feet so people can hike at night with flashlights. You'll find this one interesting. Escalators would help on steep uphill sections. A McDonald's would be nice at the head of the trail. The places where trails do not exist are not well marked. And finally, to cap it all off, this was one comment they got. There are too many rocks in the mountains. (laughs) I think they need to listen to last week's sermon maybe a little bit. Convenience, convenience, convenience. We want everything convenient. It's a desired thing in our world today. We don't want to sacrifice. Uh, We don't want to experience hardship. We don't want to wait. So we're just encouraged to do. We don't want to watch. We don't want to work. We want everything to be quick and easy. Even in a wilderness uh, area, even in a camping trip, we want everything to be quick and easy. But you know what? Christian maturity, growing more like the Lord Jesus, being made more like the Lord Jesus. And the mind of Christ does not come that way. As Warren Wiersbe reminds us and once said, the submissive mind is not the product of a one hour sermon or a week seminar or even a year service. The submissive mind grows in us like Timothy. We yield to the Lord and seek to serve others. You see, sadly, many times it's our desire to be served rather than to serve. We forget the words of the old evangelist, D.L. Moody, who said the measure of a man is not how many servants he has, but how many men he serves. Think about that for a moment. The measure of a man is not how many servants he has, but how many men he serves. We've been studying this little book of Philippians, and I hope it's been an encouragement to you. I hope it's been a challenge to you. I hope it's opened your eyes to some things. I hope you're falling in love with this little book. And we're here in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, we've been called to a life of service, a life of unselfishness, a life of unity, and a life of humility. In chapter 1, we saw that Christ is the believer's life. And here in chapter 2, we're seeing Christ as the believer's example. If you remember, we're called here in chapter 2 to a life of humility and a life of humi- uh, a unity. If you read the very first four verses, it kind of sets down that principle. Uh, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, watch this, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So that's set down, live a life of unselfishness, a life of unity, a life of humility. And then we're getting four examples here in chapter two of such a life. We're given, first of all, the perfect example, the supreme example we studied already. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. We read about him next. after who says there that we're to live such a way. It says in verse five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Jesus goes down describing Christ. Then we have some human examples. If you will, we have the Apostle Paul verses 17 and 18. We studied that last week. He says, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all for the same cause also that you joy and rejoice with me. And then we have two more examples. The example of Timothy that we're going to study today. And then the example of a man named Epaphroditus, which we'll study God willing next week. Today, we're going to study Timothy. I hope you're ready. Look at verse 19. We'll begin reading there. But I trusted the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus or Timothy Shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself. Shall come shortly. Let's pray. Father we love you. We praise you. Help us to ask. To seek. To knock. Help us to wait on you. Help us to trust you. Father work in this message today. Work in the lives of each one here. I pray these things for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Paul cared so much about the Philippians. That he was going to send Timothy. To them, it says there in verse 19, I trust the Lord Jesus, I'm going to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know of your state. Drop down to verse 23, him therefore I hope to send presently, so as soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Now the question is, why didn't Paul go himself? Why was he sending Timothy? Or why didn't he and Timothy both come and visit the Philippians? Remember, Paul is in prison at Rome and he's writing this little letter from prison. At this time, he's probably under house arrest. He couldn't come. He couldn't literally physically come. Instead, he said, I'm going to send Timothy. That is God willing. I trust to the Lord. God willing, I'm going to send Timothy. And what was his reason for sending Timothy? Well, look again at verse 19. It says, I'm going to send Timothy shortly to you that I may be of good comfort when I know of your state. In other words, Timothy was going to have a round trip. He was going to go to the Philippian believers. He was going to check on them, see how they were doing. Then he was going to bring that report back to Paul. And Paul saying, you know what? I hope to be encouraged. I hope to have comfort in hearing that you're doing well in the Lord. In Paul's place would come Timothy. Now, beloved, who was Timothy. Who was Timothy? Well, his name means one who honors God. One who honors God. Weir'sby sums up his life pretty well for us. He said Paul probably met Timothy on his first missionary journey. Acts 14, 6. At which time, perhaps, the youth was converted. Apparently, Timothy's mother and grandmother had been converted first, according to 2 Timothy 1, 3-5. He was the son of a Jewish mother and a Gentile father. Paul always considered the young man his own dearly beloved son in the faith. When Paul returned to Derby and Lystra while on his second journey, he enlisted young Timothy as one of his fellow laborers, Acts 16, 1 through 4. In one sense, Timothy replaced John Mark, whom Paul had refused to take along on the journey because of Mark's previous abandonment of the cause. And that serves as a good general summary of his life and who he was. But I want us to focus on what the Bible teaches us here. We're going to go through and make a list of what we learn about Timothy here in these verses. If you would, I would encourage you to jot these things down. I'm going to give you a a, a lengthy list here of things we learn about Timothy. And if you want to jot these things down, that would be good. First of all, I want you to notice that he was like minded. He was like minded. Look at verse 20. Paul says, I have no man like minded who will naturally care for your state. Now, what does it mean? He was like minded. Paul says he's like minded. He has a mind like mine. Like my, my, my mind. And so, what does that mean, preacher? Well, it means he had the mind of Christ. Because we know Paul had the mind of Christ. We were told there in chapter 2 and verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what kind of mind did Christ Jesus have? Well, it's the attitude of unselfishness and humility. We've already been told in chapter 1, verse 27, these words let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He's like-minded in the mind of Paul, or if you will, the mind of Christ. It was a mindset, an attitude of unselfishness and humility. He was like-minded. Secondly... He cared about people. Look at what it says in verse 20 again. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. He cared about people. Now where it says naturally there, you know what that actually means? It means genuinely or sincerely. In other words, he genuinely, sincerely cared about the Philippians. He was not faking it. He was not playing a game. He genuinely cared about them. Now let, let me ask you a question. How many times this past week has someone said these words to you? How are you doing? Think about that. How are you doing? How are you doing? Hey, how are you doing? How many times have you been asked that question this week? Let me ask you this question now. How many people really wanted you to answer them honestly? <laughs> Very few, right? The standard answer to how are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Fine. Great. But it's a lie many times. You know why? Because we're not doing Fine. And they're not doing fine. But in reality, we're both so busy with our own birds, our own cares, our own stuff. We don't care how the other person's doing. Just a convenient way to greet one another. But not, not Timothy. Timothy truly cared about people. He cared. It leads us to that next verse, which is an amazing verse. Verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. For all seek their own. Let that sink into your mind today. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. It's an amazing verse. Now, it's a broad statement. How should we take it? At face value, it looks like Paul is saying that the only person in the world that is seeking the things of Christ is Timothy. Now, of course, that cannot be because in just a few more verses, he's going to commend Epaphroditus. We know Paul himself had the mind of Christ. Surely there were other believers in the world who sought the things of Christ. Paul did. So what is Paul saying when he said, for I have no man like minded who will naturally care for your state? Here's what I believe he meant, beloved. When he looked around Rome and looked at the believers there looking to find somebody to send to the Philippians. Everybody else was too preoccupied with their own things to make the trip. Everybody else was burdened out with their own stuff to make the trip. But here was a young man named Timothy. And Timothy was like-minded with Paul. That is, he had the mind of Christ. He cared about people. He was willing and ready to go. And Paul says, listen, here's the man I'm sending. He will genuinely, sincerely care for you. He's like-minded. He is unselfish. He's He's humble. He's the young man I'm sending. He cared about people. You're making your list, right? He was like minded. He cared about people. Third, he was not selfish. He was not selfish. Look at verse 21 again. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. You see, Timothy was not too busy with his stuff to go to the Philippians. He was not tied down by his own agenda. He was not tied down by his own schedule. He was not tied down by his own comfort and convenience. He was not busy stuffing the comment box with ways to make discipleship in the Christian life easier. He was not selfish. He said, I will go. You know, he was living out what Paul wrote in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things. But every man also on the things of others. And that's the way this young man, Timothy, lived. He was not selfish. Fourth, he was Christ centered. Look at verse 21 again. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. He desired the things of Christ. He desired to be busy about his father's business. He decided to focus on what Jesus considered was important. He was Christ-centered. He was seeking to please Christ. He was seeking to emulate Christ. He was seeking to have the mind and attitude of Christ. I was struck this past week by what Dwight Pentecost wrote. When he wrote these words, here are saints to be taught, no one cares. Here are wounded hearts to be bound up, no one cares. Here are men to be reached for Christ, no one cares. Here are children to be taught and trained and guided in the things of the Lord. No one cares. There are burdens to be born and shared, but no one cares. Saints of God to be taught, trained in Sunday school, vacation Bible school, youth ministry, home Bible club. But no one cares. Why? Why? Too busy. Too busy. Too preoccupied with their own business. No one cares. Sadly, today. Many, instead of saying with Isaiah in that sixth chapter, here am I, Lord, send me the Lord here. Sorry, I'm unavailable. Please leave a message. I'm too busy. We're busy. Our lives are filled from sunrise to sunset and beyond. But what are we doing? Sadly, many times we're doing our own things. Our own things, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Paul says, look, Timothy is a young man. He's like minded. He he cared about people. Uh, He's not selfish. He's Christ centered. Now we come to the 22nd verse and it's loaded. In fact, there are at least five things we can learn from this 22nd verse. Look at what it says. But you know the proof of him that is a son with the father. He had served with me in the gospel. The fifth thing I noticed about Timothy is this. He had a good testimony. He had a good testimony. Notice what it says in the very first part of that verse. "Ye you know the proof of him. They knew Timothy. He's already been mentioned in this book. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timotheus, the service of Jesus Christ uh, there to the saints which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. They knew about him. We understand he was with Paul. In Philippi, where the church was founded, he was with Paul. They knew Timothy. They knew who he was. According to the commentator, Philip Comfort, the Philippians would have had at least two visits from Timothy and would have known him well. They not only knew who he was, they could recognize him as he came down the aisle. They knew what kind of man he was. He had proved himself to be a faithful man of God. You know the proof of him. You know, his testimony, Now I'm going to be honest today real quickly. I want you to listen to me. It saddens me today to see how so many professing Christians. They seem to care nothing or very little about their personal testimonies. They seem to care very little about their personal testimonies. They profess Christ. They say, I know Christ. I'm a believer. They might even say I'm a member of Red Hill Baptist Church. And yet they seem so, well, there's a lack of concern about their own personal testimony. I have to wonder about such folks. As a believer, people ought to look at my life and they ought to see Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, people ought to look at your life and see Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, beloved. Be careful with your testimony. Testimony. Be careful where you go and what you do and what you say and how you live. If it's questionable, leave it alone. Shine brightly for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul could say honestly, writing in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you know the proof of Timothy. You know the proof of him. He's a faithful man of God. He had a good testimony. We learn something else, though, here. And that is he was humble. Look at verse 22 again. But as you know, the proof of him. That as a son with the father, as a son with the father, Paul lovingly considered Timothy, his son in the faith. Now, I never read where Timothy chafed under that. I never read where Timothy sought to exalt himself above Paul. I never read where he sought to distance himself from Paul. He was humble. Let me ask you this question. What's the most difficult instrument to play? Now, don't answer out loud in your own heart. What's the most difficult instrument to play? You know what it is? Second fiddle. Second fiddle. That's what Timothy played. One anonymous poet wrote it this way. The hardest instrument to play is second fiddle, so they say. And I believe this is so. i try, but haven't mastered it, though. It takes more grace than pen can tell to play the second fiddle Well. To softly play in harmony while others shine melody at times to even pause and rest while others give their best. It takes more grace than pen can tell to play the second fiddle. Well, while others are honored, so it seldom plays a grand solo yet in the background keeps its place while others in the spotlights face. It takes more grace than pen can tell to play the second fiddle. Well, the second fiddle complements all the other instruments. While faithful to keep time and tone, tis of great price and worth unknown. It takes more grace than pen can tell to play the second fiddle well. The master looks for those who he can use in his great symphony. Tis but a few can bend and blend of whom he always can depend. It takes more grace <clears throat> than pen can tell to play the second fiddle well. But you know what? Timothy played it well. He was humble. He was humble as a father, as a son with the father. And in the shadow of Paul, the apostle, he was humble. What else do I learn there? I learned he was teachable as a son with the father. Now, although it doesn't state it plainly here, we know that in such a relationship, there's going to be teaching from the father to the son. Uh, we know that Timothy had been learning truth all his life. If you go back and think about his early life, here's what Second Timothy three fourteen through 17 says. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. Thruly furnished into all good works. That is, he learned the truth from his mother and grandmother. He's been learning truth all of his life. But Paul would write to him in 2 Timothy 2:2 these words, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. In other words, he was teachable. He was willing and able and capable of learning and wanted to learn. From a spiritual father, if you will, in the faith, Paul. He was humble. He was teachable. Notice, next, he was a servant. Look at verse 22 again. But you know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Now, no doubt, Timothy lovingly served Paul. You know, Timothy was younger. Paul was older. But Paul doesn't mention that here. Notice, read it carefully. He hath served With me. With me. Think about that for a moment. Paul is older. Timothy is younger. Some might believe that the generation gap would be too great for this to take place. You you know what I mean by the generation gap, right? The older folks can't understand the younger folks. And the younger folks can't understand the older folks. And both groups end up looking at the other group and they think, boy, they're odd And maybe even a little useless. The generation gap. You know what I'm talking about? One writer said it this way. Our youth now love luxury. They have bad manners. Contempt for authority. Disrespect for older people. Children nowadays are tyrants. They no longer rise when their elders enter the room. They contradict their parents. Chatter before company. Gobble their food and tyrannize their teachers. Now wait a minute. Guess who wrote that? His name was Socrates and he died in 399 B.C. This is not a new challenge. The generation gap. Now, listen, whatever group you fall in today, James voices. says, if you're a member of the younger generation, do you see your calling to which God has called you? It is not to rebellion against your parents or against the older generation in general. It's to work with them in mutual service to the Lord.
1: You'll be able to
0: do this as you learn to serve Christ's interest like Timothy and not merely your own. And then he says this verse, of course, speaks to the older generation. You have the duty of raising your children. You're to lead them to become faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. You're to encourage them to follow Jesus to learn the truth of the gospel, to emulate Christ's character. You have a role of supervision, but you must never forget that you actually serve with them as bond slaves of Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. You know, when a boy or girl here brings a friend with them to Sunday school or a church or to mission friends, they're doing just as much the work of the ministry as I'm doing and you're doing. We work together in the ministry. We serve together for the gospel. These words are words we need to hear and heed. Let's bridge the gap of the generations to, to both groups to have humility and unity and harmony and see that we're together in Christ. We must hasten. You're keeping a running tally here. This is number nine. He was gospel centered. Verse 22, he says he has served with me in the gospel, in the gospel, the good news, the glorious message of redemption, the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, wait a minute. I'm saying you're he's gospel centered preacher. You just said he was Christ centered. Which is it? Listen, if you're Christ centered, you're going to be gospel centered. If you're Christ centered, you will be gospel centered. He said, listen, Timothy's serving with me in the gospel. He cared about the gospel. He lived the gospel. He shared the gospel. His heartbeat was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today and you never heard the gospel. You don't realize that Jesus, God in the flesh, he lived as a man among men, the God man. A sinless, perfect life. And yet laid down his life on the cross. He bled. He died. He shed his blood. He took your sin upon him. He died, was buried. But then he rose again victorious and he ever lives. He's alive. If you'll trust him today, he will save you. You turn from your sin to Christ. He will forgive you. He'll give you a home in heaven. Pardon of sin. Make you an heir and join heir with Christ. You've never trusted him today, friend. Today's today. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. He was gospel centered. And then number 10, as we're running out of time today, he was available. He was available. Look at verse 23. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently as soon as I shall see how it will go with me. He was available. L- listen, Timothy here obviously had no agenda of his own. He was submissive to Paul as an apostle of God. In other words, he was submissive to God's will for his life. Paul mentions trusting in the Lord there, the idea of God willing. You know one of the greatest abilities you can have is availability. Not many people have that today, do they? Availability. Let me ask you, are you available to the Lord? Are you available to the Lord? You say, well, if he's got something open on Tuesday around. No, 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 no. He is Lord. He is master. Are you available to the Lord? Are you ready to move out of his bidding? Are you ready to, to go or stay at his command? Are you willing to let him set the itinerary? Are you willing to, for him to change your plans, whatever they may be? Are you available to the Lord? You know, as I first started studying this past this week. The question that came to my mind as I read it was, was this. Am I self-centered? Or Christ-centered? Everybody ask yourself that question. Am I self-centered or Christ-centered? We're be said in the very real sense. All of us either live in Philippians 121. Or Philippians 2.21. You see, Philippians 1.21 says, For for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. While 2.21 says, For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, Which verse is your address? Which verse describes your life? Is your life living Christ? Or is your life... uh, don't have time for Christ. Am I self-centered or Christ-centered? We know what described Timothy. Which one describes us? Now, wait a minute. Before we're done today, maybe you think, well, preacher, sure you know, Timothy, he, he's a Bible character. You know, we, we in our own mindsets, we think, no, these Bible characters, they're super Christian. Uh, they, they don't have the problems we have and they don't have the issues we have. And Unless you go away today saying, you know what, that's good for Timothy and good for Paul. They're Bible characters, but not for me. Listen, I want you to understand, Timothy had some problems in his life. He had some challenges in his life. In fact, Gene Getz said he had a social problem, a psychological problem and a physical problem. Let me share that with you very quickly. First of all, a social problem. What is it, preacher? He's young, his youth. 1 Timothy 4.12 says this, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. You know, that's a boundary many times because of the generation gap. Youth. That was a social problem. And he said, Paul said, don't don't let anybody despise your youth. You be an example. We believe he had a psychological problem. What's that, preacher? He seemed to have a, a sensitive nature. Let me share some verses with you. First Corinthians sixteen ten and 11. Here's what those verses say. Now, if Timotheus or Timothy come. Listen. See that he may be with you without fear. For he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him. But conduct him forth in peace that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. And then Paul wrote to Timothy these words in 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. It seems that not only did he have his youth to overcome, he also had a sensitive nature, some fear, it seems, and he's encouraged there. But then you know what? He also had a physical problem. It seems that Timothy had some stomach problems. Because 1 Timothy 5.23 says this. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine oft. Infirmities. That means you're often sick. He had these problems, these challenges, yet he did not say, you know what, I I can't serve Christ. I can't serve the Lord. He didn't let those stand in his way. He was like minded, he cared about people, he was not selfish, he was Christ centered. He had a good testimony. He was humble. He was teachable. He was a servant. He was gospel centered. He was available. He cared about what Jesus cared about. Now, let me ask you, do you care about what Jesus cares about? Everybody ask yourself, do I care about people? Do I care about having a good testimony? Do I care about having a servant's heart? Do I care about humility and availability? Do I care about the gospel? Am I self-centered or Christ-centered? Am I willing to leave behind the comfort and convenience and ease to live for Jesus? Do I really care? Do I care? You know, sometimes we read about these Bible characters and we get a little intimidated. I mean, they're Bible characters. How could God use me? We forget that they bled and they hurt too. Sir Michael Costa was once rehearsing with a large orchestra and hundreds of singers. And the piccolo player was there and the piccolo player got to thinking and said, you know what to himself, you know, amid the, the thunder of the organ and the roll of the drums and the music of all the other instruments, I don't need to play. So he stopped. And guess what happened? The great conductor threw up his arms and shouted, where is the piccolo? Where is it? You see, like the piccolo player, we have a part that God wants to use us in his grand orchestra in getting out the gospel. Timothy was a servant. He was one who esteemed others better than himself. But what does this look like in real life? How does this play out in our lives? How does this play out in Ansonville and Waitsboro and Polkton? I'm sure there are many, many multitudes of illustrations and stories we could use to illustrate it. But I'm going to use just one that I read this past week and I was struck by it. Many of you remember the former evangelist, Jim Baker, and the scandal and all that went with that. Well, Jim Baker shared what happened immediately after he was released from prison. He said when I was transferred to my last prison, Franklin, that is Franklin Graham, said he wanted to help me out when I got when I got out with a job and a house to live in and a car. He said it was my fifth Christmas in prison. I thought it over and said, Franklin, you can't do this. It will hurt you. The Grams don't need my baggage. Baker said he looked at me and he said, Jim, you are my friend in the past and you're my friend now. If anyone doesn't like it, I'm looking for a fight. Baker said when I got out of prison, the Graham sponsored me and paid for a house for me to live in and gave me a car to drive. He said the first Sunday out, Ruth Graham called the halfway house I was living in at the Salvation Army and asked permission for me to go to the Montreal Presbyterian Church with her. That Sunday morning he says when I got there, the pastor welcomed me and sat me with the Graham family. There were like two whole rows of them. I think every Graham aunt, uncle and cousin was there. He says the organ began playing and the place was full except for a seat next to me. Baker says the doors open and in walked Ruth Graham. She walked down that aisle and sat and sat next to inmate. 07407-058. Baker said I had only been out of prison forty eight hours, but she told the world that morning that Jim Baker was her friend. He, he says afterwards she had me up to their cabin for dinner and when she asked me for some addresses, I pulled this envelope out of my pocket to look for them. He says in prison, you're not allowed to have a wallet, so you just carry an envelope. She asked, don't you have a wallet? I said, well, yeah, this is my wallet. After five years of brainwashing in prison, you think an envelope is a wallet, he says. She walked to the other room and came back and said, here's one of Billy's wallets. He doesn't need it. You can have it. He said, these people were trying to lift up someone who had fallen and failed. There is much we can learn from their example in loving those who have fallen. And you know what, he's right. We sometimes treat those who have fallen worst of all. Instead of helping the wounded, we shoot them. You know, we have a wonderful example there. We have a wonderful example in Timothy. We have a wonderful example in Paul. You're going to see a wonderful example, God willing, next week in Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. But I want you to hear again the supreme example where it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And things under the earth. And that every tongue. Should confess that Jesus Christ. Is Lord. To the glory. Of God. The Father. Amen. And amen. Would you bow your head and close your eyes. I want to thank you for your attention today. I know we're a few minutes over. But I want to just pause for a moment. And ask you. To consider. What God, the Holy Spirit is saying to you today. What area is he putting his finger on in your life? Maybe you're here today and you've never experienced the gospel yourself. You've never been born again. Today's the day, friend, to trust Jesus. And perhaps you're here today. You say, preacher, I have no doubts about that. I have no worries about that. I know my future is secure in the hands of Christ. I know heaven's my home. But listen, friend. Have you considered yourself as you looked at these characteristics of Timothy? He was not a perfect man. He had problems and failings. He was a sinner too. But he allowed God to work in his life. And God was able to use him. And God desires to use you. Do you care? Are you self-centered or Christ-centered? Who is reigning in your life right now? Jesus is Lord. Will you submit to his Lordship and say, Lord, I'm yours? I'm tired of seeking my own things. I'm ready to seek your things. I'm tired of living my life. I want to live your life. I want to be used by you. In a moment after I pray, we're going to sing a closing hymn. When I do, the altar's open. We'd invite you to come today and pray. We need to trust Jesus. Come, let us know that. We'd love to sit down and talk with you and take the Bible and share with you. Would you be submissive to the Spirit's leading today? Father, we love you. We honor and adore you. Magnify your name in this place. Thank you for men and women who've gone before us and those who live amongst us that live Christ like lives. But most of all, thank you for Christ Himself, for His humility. For his love, for his unselfishness. Work of this imitation, I pray, O God, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.